You're listening to Comedy Central. February 18, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Guest tonight, the director of the Oscar-nominated documentary *Minding the Gap*. Bing Liu is joining us, everybody. A really, really interesting documentary we're going to be talking about. Also on the show tonight, America is in a national emergency. Colin Kaepernick has finally signed with the NFL, and the reason so many white people are talking about empire. But first, <laughs> happy President's Day. Yeah, I'll be honest. This is another American holiday I don't quite understand. <laughs> Yeah, you, you pull a president out of the ground and then if it sees its shadow, there's six more weeks of democracy. Is... <laughs> Do I have it right? Is that the thing? And I know a lot of people today have work off, uh, but we at The Daily Show couldn't take a break because there's so much news to talk about. In fact, there's too much news. Thankfully, though, too much news is just the right amount of news for a segment we call Ain't Nobody Got Time For That. <laughs> Mike Pence. As vice president, his most important job is to be so unlikable that Congress never goes through with impeaching President Trump. <laughs> but another part of his job is representing Trump to America's allies around the world, which sometimes gets a bit awkward. In Germany today, Vice President Mike Pence found little agreement with this country's allies on many key issues. Vice President Pence in the eye of the storm, scolding Europe's top officials for sticking with the Iran nuclear deal and evading U.S. sanctions. It was a chilly reception from the moment he arrived here at the Munich Security Conference last night. I bring greetings from the 45th President of the United States of America, President Donald Trump. Last August. Wow. <laughs> Not a single person in that room clapped <laughs> when he mentioned that. Like, even the crickets left. <laughs> they were like, kr, kr. nah, you're right. Hashtag not my president. Yeah. <laughs> that is the most awkward thing to happen to Mike Pence since he watched Magic Mike by mistake. That <laughs> mother, I think they made their shirts disappear. <laughs> and to be fair, that room probably does hate Donald Trump. But Mike Pence would be the worst hype man for anything. Like, if you put him on stage with a super popular rapper, it'll be like, females in the crowd, if you're enjoying your evening, please make yourselves heard audibly at this time. <laughs> now, on a normal day, we could spend all our time talking about how this awkward silence was just another sign of the deteriorating relationship between the US and Europe. But there's no time for that, because back in the States, there's big news about another strained relationship. A new development in the wake of quarterback Colin Kaepernick's national anthem kneeling controversy. This morning, a deal's been reached between Kaepernick and the NFL. Ever since he ignited a national debate about racial injustice and kneeling during the national anthem, Colin Kaepernick hasn't been able to find a job in football. While Kaepernick had gained a national following, becoming the face of Nike and a target of President Trump, he's fired! An intense legal fight had been underway, with Kaepernick's lawyers confronting NFL owners and league officials. 
Now, in a joint statement, the NFL and Kaepernick's lawyers say the parties have decided to resolve the pending grievances, subject to a confidentiality agreement, so there will be no further comment. That's right, baby. Colin Kaepernick's getting paid. Getting paid. Yes. After two years of fighting with the NFL, both sides have reached a settlement. And people are speculating that he got anywhere between 60 and 80 million dollars. Yeah, now Colin's gonna be kneeling because his pockets are so full he can't stand up. (laughs) That's why, just uh, too heavy to get up. (laughs) And I'm glad that Kaepernick is getting paid, especially after the NFL blackballed him for protesting. But I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna lie. It is a little weird that he agreed to sign their NDA. Because now everyone who supported Colin will never know the full story of what the NFL did to him, you know? It's like, we don't know, it's in secret. It's like if Martin Luther King came out and was like, my friends, I've been to the mountaintop. He'd be like, and what it's like? I can't talk about it. I signed an NDA. And look, the truth is, this is one of those stories that's bound to get people arguing, right? Some are gonna say that Colin sold out. Some will say that he didn't. Some are gonna say that him getting blackballed is a separate issue from his kneeling protest. Either way, we don't have the time to get into all of it. Because while the NFL is trying to win back black Americans, the NBA is winning black people overseas. USA Today reports the NBA and the International Basketball Federation plan to launch a 12-team league in Africa. Former President Barack Obama is expected to play a key role in that league. Scheduled for launch in January 2020, the Basketball Africa League will be the NBA's first collaboration to run a pro sports league outside of North America. That's right. The NBA is launching a 12-team basketball league in Africa which is bound to be awkward when they're trying to recruit players. They're gonna get there like, hey, Africa, so uh, America's searching for the biggest, strongest people you have. (laughs) There's gonna be a draft. The owners are gonna pick who they like best. So what do you guys say? Africans will be like, ah, white man, we are not falling for that again, huh? (laughs) Not this time. Not this time. Eh? Enslave me once, shame on you. (laughs) Enslave me twice, shame on me, huh? (laughs) Now look, I won't lie, I think it's cool that the NBA is trying to come to Africa, but I also think that Africa is too big for a 12-team league, right? You understand, like, your away game is gonna be, like, 10 hours away. (laughs) And you may not realize how big Africa is because of those racist-ass maps that make the U.S. look as big as Africa. But it's not, it's not. Like, look, look at how many countries actually fit into Africa. Africa's so big, it can fit three United States inside of it. Africa's so big, it can fit seven Africas inside of it. <laughs> Africa's so big, it can even fit your mama inside of it. That's right, this whole thing was a yo mama joke. That's all it was, it was a yo mama joke. That's all it was. The most elaborate yo mama joke ever. And we could spend all day talking about Yo Mama, but we just don't have the time. (laughs) Because there's someone we like to make even more fun of, President Trump. President Trump may have been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize by the Japanese Prime Minister. Shinzo Abe has not denied the nomination, but will not make a comment about it either. The president said Friday that he had been nominated by Abe. A Japanese newspaper says someone in the Trump administration asked Abe to do so. Wow. Wow, I don't even know what to say. President Trump 
might have asked the Japanese <laughs> prime minister <laughs> to nominate him for the Nobel Peace Prize, <laughs> which is such, such poor etiquette, man. Someone's supposed to do that because they want to do it, all right? Not because you begged for it. It's like a marriage proposal or a blowjob. If you're begging, <laughs> if you're begging for it, that's just sad, okay? <laughs> and you have to have a really high opinion of yourself to do this. Like, I would never ask someone to nominate me for sexiest man alive. <laughs> that's not really my style. No, 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 I'm... No, I'm... No, I'm just focused. I don't care about that, guys. I'm just focused on being me. I... <laughs> I guess I'm just mysterious like that. Oh, 255, 256. Ugh. Now, we could talk about Trump's actual achievements in North Korean diplomacy or the medical definition of malignant narcissism, but we don't have the time for that. <laughs> because there's one big story that everyone's talking about. By now, you've all probably heard about the incident involving Empire actor Jussie Smollett. According to Smollett, he was walking the streets of Chicago a few weeks ago at 2 a.m., trying to get a Subway sandwich, when he was beaten up by two white guys. And not just any two white guys. These guys recognized Smollett from Empire, and then they beat him up while shouting homophobic and racist slurs at him. Then they threw a noose around his neck, poured bleach on him, and yelled, this is MAGA country. But now it seems like maybe there's a lot more to the story. Chicago police want to re-interview Empire actor Jesse Smollett after getting new information about the alleged attack against him. Two brothers told police Smollett paid them to stage the attack. That's right. The police now believe that Smollett staged his own attack, which would be insane. But you have to admit, there's a certain part of the story that was always a little weird. Like, who are the MAGA supporters who hate gay people, who hate black people, but also happen to watch Empire? <laughs> like, I've heard of hate watching, but that shit would be next level. <laughs> it's like a member of the clan buying tickets to Fiddler on the Roof, just like, look, I'm no fan of the Jews, but you gotta admit, they can play a mean fiddle. <laughs> So now, it's being reported that Jussie Smollett paid a couple of guys to fake this attack, but who would accept money to do such a thing? These guys. Sources say these Nigerian brothers told detectives Smollett directed them to buy the rope at this hardware store and reportedly even rehearsed the assault ahead of time. Ola and Abel Osendairo were captured on surveillance video around the time Smollett said he was attacked. Ola Osendairo is connected to Smollett through Empire, where he played a prisoner in season two. One of the men was the actor's personal trainer. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait. So Smollett's Nigerian personal trainer <laughs> is one of the guys who beat him up? That doesn't make sense. Unless maybe his trainer was just really pissed off that Smollett was eating Subway. Maybe that's what it was. He just went there and he's like, ah, what did I tell you? No cops after 7 p.m., huh? No cops after 7 p.m., oh. <laughs> this story is so weird. I'm sorry, like, I don't care who you are. This is a weird story because now they're saying that Jussie rehearsed the attack a few days before it happened. And look, I'm not gonna lie. That's the one part of the story that actually makes sense to me because if I was paying these two to beat me up, I would want to practice too, okay? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Look at this photo. How many abs does the guy on the left have? 
It looks like he stole a couple of apps from the other guy. <laughs> so in the public eye, this story has moved from a hate crime against a popular TV actor to a giant hoax by a popular TV actor. But Smollett still insists there was no collusion. Yeah. Who the would make something like this up or add something to it? You do such a disservice when you lie about things like this. If the attackers are never found, how will you be able to heal? I don't know. Let's just hope that they are. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's not go there yet. Let's, um... <laughs> I was talking to a friend, and I said, I just want them to find them. And she said, sweetie, they're not gonna find them. That just made me so angry. Okay. Either this guy's telling the truth, or he deserves an Emmy for that interview. <laughs> because if all of that is just a performance, I don't care what he's lying about, you can't cancel him. He's too good to not be on TV. <laughs> but that's basically where the story is now. And look, I don't know how it's gonna end up because every day the story just gets stranger and stranger. Tomorrow we could find out that those Nigerian brothers are actually princes and they needed the money to unlock their royal inheritance. I don't know where this is going. Or maybe they're a part of the NBA team that Obama is forming in Africa. We don't know. We don't know. And we'd love to keep wildly speculating about all of it, but we just don't have the time because we have to go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Trump's border wall. It was his number one campaign promise, but now Trump can't find anyone willing to pay for it. Mexico refused to pay for it. Congress refused to pay for it. He tried to put it on Jared's credit card, but couldn't figure out how the chip works. I was like, sir, you're pulling it out too soon. He's like, well, I don't know if this machine is on the pill. I'm not getting trapped again. I don't want another Eric. And so on Friday, on Friday, the president had no other choice but to take emergency action. In the Rose Garden, the president did what he had long threatened to do, declaring a national emergency to get billions of dollars Congress wouldn't give him to build his border wall. Now the battle moves to the courts, with challenges coming from border states, landowners, and others, and they're already pointing to this stunning admission. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. Wait, hold up. So Trump admitted he didn't need to declare an emergency, he's just doing it to save time? That sort of negates his entire argument. It would be like a pilot coming out of the cockpit with a parachute saying, look, I don't have to open the emergency door, <laughs> but we're right over my house and I don't want to fight traffic. <laughs> Thank you for flying Spirit Airlines! <laughs> but look, you can argue about it, but Trump clearly thinks that Mexicans coming over the border is a national emergency. And so in response, America has to build a wall, which is a very gradual response to an emergency. It's just like, sir, they're invading. Should we mobilize our tanks and call in airstrikes? No, 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 bring me your finest bricklayers. <laughs> in three to five years, they'll regret invading us. So look, Trump knows that this isn't the end of the border wall fights. Right? Because it's, it's a national emergency, uh, this declaration will be challenged in the courts. And we know he knows this because he wrote a song about it. We will have a national emergency, and we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit. 
even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake, and we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. They sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. Okay, that was super weird. Why is he talking like that? It sounds like he's being auto-tuned, but it's very addictive. I don't think I can stop now. Somebody help me. But, but as crazy as his delivery was, I think we should at least be thankful that he used it to talk about the wall and not like a natural disaster. Imagine if he whipped that out for the first time after like a giant earthquake, like there was this big earthquake, lots of people were trapped, we're gonna do our best, but expect the worst. <laughs> I'm not saying move on, but even if your husband has survived, his face is probably smushed and all gross. <laughs> but surprisingly, surprisingly, Cardi D's jam over here probably wasn't wrong, <laughs> right? His prediction of the court battle makes sense. It really does, it makes sense, which made me think, what if the whole time, the key to making Trump a smarter president is to just teach him in song form? <laughs> Maybe that's why he doesn't retain information. His advisors should do this the next time they have to explain anything to Trump. They should be like, sir, we've been monitoring sectarian violence in Yemen. And if you look sectarian, what did you say? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> well, sir... Sir, you have the Sunnis and you have the Shiites. This conflict goes back thousands of years. Now I get it. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, it doesn't, it didn't even sound like Trump was singing. It sounded like he was trying to play his own speech on Guitar Hero. And we will possibly get a bad ruling and then we'll get another bad ruling and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court and hopefully we'll get a fair shake and we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. They sued us in the Ninth Circuit and we lost and then we lost in the appellate division and then we went to the Supreme Court and we won. You rock. Now, as you'd expect, Prominent Democrats are calling Trump's emergency declaration an unconstitutional power grab because only Congress should decide how to appropriate money. And while Trump now thinks that executive action is the way to go, back in the day, he had a very different opinion. I'll make great deals and we'll get them done. And we don't have to use executive orders and all this stuff that Obama's using. We're not gonna be opening our borders or closing our borders based on executive orders. You get them in a room and you make a deal. Mm -hmm. But uh, certainly uh, he has not been able to do that. And now he has to use executive action. And this is a very, very dangerous thing. The whole concept of executive order, it's not the way the country's supposed to be run. You're supposed to go through Congress and make a deal and <laughs> go and talk to people and get the guys in there. And, and, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you're supposed to all get together. So there you have it. Once again, President Trump is full of shit. He criticized Obama for the thing he's doing now. But you'll thank Trump when the national emergency is over in three to five years, provided the drug dealers don't figure out how to build tunnels. Oh, no, I'm stuck again. Let's go to an ad break so I can get my brain checked out. We'll be right back. I can't stop. I gotta do this thing. Welcome back to the Daily Show. 
My guest tonight is a filmmaker whose critically acclaimed documentary, Minding the Gap, is nominated for an Academy Award. Please welcome Bing Liu. Welcome to the show. Thanks. And congratulations on an Oscar nomination. Thank you so much. It's that is unreal. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. That's crazy. I think what, what connects with so many people w when watching this film is that it really is a journey through life, right? You, mm -hmm. you started filming this when you were a kid. What was it, like 12 years ago, maybe? Well, I had 12 years of footage, but I started the project five years ago. Right. Uh, it wasn't until the last few months of editing that I went into archival and was able to expand the sense of time in the film that you feel. Right. Yeah. But, you, but you, when you started filming this, did you know that this was going to be a long project, or were you just filming your friends skateboarding? Because that's, that's what the mm -hmm. film seems like it's about on the surface. It's like mining the gap. It's about mm -hmm. skateboarding, culture in this neighborhood, that you grew up in, and it seems like when you were filming it initially, you had greater aspirations, but I, I don't know if you did. Well, I did. I think, you know, so much of documentary storytelling is in the edit, so a lot of it was just reverse engineered. So skateboarding and that love of skateboarding just becomes the Trojan horse for, you know, all these other issues to right. emanate out of, so. And the issues in this documentary are really gripping. I mean, at one point, you, you, you're just watching a bunch of kids skateboarding, and then you, you're seeing them, and they've grown up, and, you, and you, you, these are your friends as well. But these people let you into their lives. You know, as we saw in the clip, you have a young man talking about, you know, in his home, how he was disciplined and how it would be turned abuse today, and you, you look at cycles of abuse and pain. How did you let the story be told without, without making it feel like you were giving away your friend's secrets? Well, I think it's a two-way street, right? I mean, that moment in the film that you just saw was the first time he ever talked about his father and, like, you know, what it was like growing up with him and, you know, the pain and also the guilt that he felt about what happened between the two of them. Right. Um, I mean, you know, he wanted to talk about it. I think most young people just aren't given the space to be able to just process these things. Um, I, I think people think it's actually harder than it, it, than it actually is to be able to just get this out of young people. As long as you come from a non-judgmental, actually curious, authentic place, I think young people really want to talk about these things. Many people have said that this film is one of the greatest, um, I guess, observations into America as a whole. Mm. It's not just about this town, it's about almost every town. Why do you think it connected in the way it did? I think we live, especially as a millennial, you know, I'm 30 years old. Um, you know, I think we live in a time that's more connected than ever. Right. But at the same time, also, people are feeling more isolated than ever. I think the film really gets at that thesis. By the end of the climactic, you know, character arcs that we get to, every, you feel a sense of just how alone everyone feels and how, you know, misunderstood they feel. You know, despite every, despite all the friends, despite all the, you know, the, the chosen family members that they've gotten and they've, that they've connected with, you know, I think everyone just wants to, they don't feel heard. So. Right. Have, have any of your friends watched the film? Yeah, we showed, the, so I told them early on that we were going to show them the film even before we picture locked. To right. give them just one chance to see in context the story and so they could tell me, hey, you know, you didn't get this right or, you know, like... Uh, I, I don't want this this represented this way. Right, right. So, you know, I think that's what helped me also, you know, in terms of just getting at these secrets that you talked about. Because I knew, like, once we get to a certain point, they'll see it all in a story. And that way, you know, things and these moments and these things that they're giving away aren't stilted in, in, in a way where, you know, they feel like, oh, my God, I'm scared right, of right, this right. moment. Exactly. But no, this is just part of my journey. Um, so when we show them all the film, you know, they were all on board because I think they felt like there was a sense of um, uh, being included in the process along right. the way. It's really come through as well, because, I mean, 
The film has done well with all audiences. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, you know, critics are loving it, fans are loving it. Where do you go from here? Because I mean, you know, this is just the beginning for you. Like you said, it was, it was a welcome surprise, but it is the beginning of your journey. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself making more documentaries or do you have aspirations to make all types of film? I think it's all downhill from here. I think it's just, <laughs> it's all <laughs> abject failure. Uh, you know, like next year, I'll, I'll be getting the least improved filmmaker right. award, you know? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm actually working on a couple more documentaries. One I started before Mind in the Gap was finished. Uh -huh. And that one is about, you know, um, young men who, uh, you know, need to confront the past and their emotions in order to move forward as it pertains to um, gun violence in Chicago and neighborhoods that experience them. And then another one that's starting up is about millennial love and intimacy. Um, so they're, they're related themes, right. but you know, I think I'm excited to, to keep exploring these types of stories. If it's even half as good as this film, it's gonna be a smash hit. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Congratulations Thanks. again. Minding the Gap is currently streaming on Hulu. You really wanna watch this film. Bing Lu, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.